Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. As always, thank you for dropping on by and taking time to listen to my podcast. I'm delighted that you do so. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to have the fabulous Julie Crefield with me. And I'm going to hand over to her to introduce herself because she knows herself better than anybody else. So Julie, over to yourself. Please do introduce yourself to my fabulous listeners. Super excited to be here. So I'm Julie Crefield. I describe myself as an activator of people. Um, I do a number of things. Uh, I work as a business coach, so I help people to grow their audiences and to to build uh, impactful, mission-led businesses. But I also run a plus-size fitness business called Too Fat to Run, which I've been running for about 11 years now. So um, I've got a very varied background, always about activating people, often hard to reach people, hard to reach communities. and yeah, you know, like many of us uh, over the last few years, predominantly my business has, has been online. Um, but, you know, the plus size fitness business had been online prior to that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a bumpy few years, uh, lots of highs and lows. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's always hard describing what I do because I do do many different things, you know, and, and that giving yourself a title, I find really difficult. I don't want to just be a business coach (laughs) and I don't want to just be seen as a plus size athlete. You know, it's like, I don't want to pop myself in a box. No, I totally agree with you. I was listening to a guy um, a while back talking about that because you are, we're, we're all so many different things. You know, you're you're a mum and, well, I'm a mum as well, you know, and you're this and you're that and you're the other. Why, why, why do you have to be specifically defined by any one thing because I mean I think this has been this huge idea about niching down niching down niching down. no and I think I'm very much like you you know I've got I've got a recruitment business I've got a coaching practice I'm an author I'm a podcaster I've got YouTube I've got this that and the other and I like running I haven't I don't have a running club or anything like that <laughs> but you've got such a, and a myriad of stuff that you do and you've done because you're passionate you're a creator you're somebody that gets excited about stuff but and that's know- the that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think when it comes to niching, because this is something that I teach business owners, I always believe that we are the niche, right? We are the niche, right? Yes. It's not who we serve. You know, that's one aspect of it. But people choose business owners, they choose businesses because of a connection, right? And if mm-hmm. we are not willing to show people all aspects of ourselves, then we're doing ourselves a disservice, right? Yeah. And, and so... Um, I think where people want to put other people in boxes is simply so they can understand what's in it for me, right? So I always say to people like, you know, people say, oh, I wear many hats, right? It's a phrase that really gets on my nerves. (laughs) I wear many hats. No one gives a shit about your hats other than you, right? But what people do give a shit about is understanding how those hats all fit together, you know? And so it is useful to be able to find better ways of describing yourself, particularly on social media. So having a really good bio that describes what's in it for other people and why people should trust you and all of those things but I think we we are evolving and if the pandemic has taught us anything Mm. is that we need to evolve and we need to be resilient and flexible and able to adapt and that's the the glory of being a human being right 
No, absolutely. I was just, in fact, I was just before uh, we uh, we came on to record, just reflecting back through your book. Julie's written a book, by the way. It's called Leading from the Back. I think you've written more than one book, to be perfectly honest. But it's really interesting. I was looking at it a little bit. You know, it's about be, you are your own saviour. You are your own muse. You are your own hero. You are the hero or the heroine of your own story. And it's, you know, you've got to really take responsibility for yourself, haven't you? And that's, that's the key. And you have to keep on looking at things and working at stuff and reworking how you are and how you think and adapting... And like you said, the pandemic, oh, crikey, <laughs> everything I'd been doing collapsed. It was yeah. like, I mean, I, I went and wrote that book um, after what had been the most challenging time of, of my life. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the pandemic hit. I had two um, online businesses. I'm a single mum. And mm-hmm. I just had this moment of like, oh, my God, everything that I've been building towards is now going to collapse. And I had a massive panic and I didn't trust my own ability to be a leader. And actually what people were looking for online was leadership. They were looking for somebody to say, it's going to be okay. Like the world has gone crazy, but there are still things we can do. And, you know, we're going to be okay, people. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that meant was that for however many months it was, I held space for thousands of other business owners and thousands of plus size women. Many of the women in my running community are key workers, nurses, um, you know, people managing other people. Mm -hmm. And so I held a lot of stuff. I held a lot of other people's trauma. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as we were able to fly, I was like, I'm out of here. (laughs) And I said to to my daughter's dad, like, come on, I've had her during the pandemic. You've got to take the baton for a little bit. And he was Mm -hmm. like, fine. So I went to Greece for three weeks to the Greek island of Rhodes to write this book. And what I realised in the first week was I got there and I thought, right, I'll have a couple of days just to settle in. And I got into the sea and I'm not a big sea swimmer, but I got into the sea and I burst into tears. I'm not it surprised. Was, it was this emotional release. And mm. I was like, why am I crying? I was like, what is going on? And I didn't realise how much trauma I'd been through. And the reason I went out to Rhodes is I run a, a fitness retreat out there. So it was a place that I know well. And I have a few friends out there. And one of my friends met me at the airport. And she said, you know, when you come through arrivals, I didn't recognise you. She said, I didn't wow. recognise you. And she'd been out there on a Greek island. And yes, there'd been lockdowns and all of those things. Nothing like living in a built up urban environment during mm-hmm. a lockdown. And so what ended up happening while writing that book was I realised I needed a little bit more time than three weeks. So I ended mm-hmm. up staying out there for eight weeks, which <gasps> felt incredibly indulgent and abundant and you know and London went back into lockdown Mm -hmm. and that was part of my reason for staying I phoned my daughter's dad and I said look London's in lockdown I don't really want to fly from a Greek island where everything's (laughs) hunky-dory back to you know a place where all this stuff is going down so I stayed out there um, and that book really helped me to consolidate everything that had gone on mm-hmm. and everything that we need to be as business owners you know and we have this idea that to be a leader you've got to be like perfect or slick or professional or you've got to have your shit together but actually <laughs> leadership happens at every level of life you know we mm-hmm. lead our kids we lead our partners we lead our communities you know and we don't have to be at the front all the time you know we can do some incredible work by being yeah. a little bit more in the background um you know and the stuff where people are you know are not blowing smoke up your ass you know <laughs> Leadership is something we all can, if we choose to, play a part in. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's as you say, there's so many different layers to it. And 
but I, oh gosh, I can really, I can feel it, you know, hear it coming through that, that sort of, re, you know, that release when you sort of get out there and get into the, totally, totally get it, you know, and I, I'm craving a, a good long break personally myself because, you know, I've not stopped. I we haven't need, stopped. We need it. And, you know, I am a, a workaholic. I love work mm. and I never burn out through hard work. What I burn out from is the emotional stuff. If I keep mm. a lid on emotional stuff for too long, then I, I, I get a little bit sad. And what happened because of the pandemic is all of the things that enable me to have release. So socialising with my friends, doing like big races, going to concerts, all of those big releases, going and getting drunk with my friends, all of that stopped. And so I didn't have an outlet, you know. Um, And I think also what has happened since the pandemic, this is just a a belief that I have, is that we're we're going through this process of re-peopling. And so... So many people that didn't have social anxiety before now have social anxiety, myself included. You know, I I went for lunch with a friend of mine and um, afterwards I had to phone him and I said, I'm so sorry for my behaviour. I said, I was a weirdo. I was completely, like, (laughs) uncomfortable and just not good company. And he was a friend that I've known for many, many years and it just felt awkward. It felt like a first date, even though there was no romance or whatever. It just felt really awkward because Mm. I'd forgotten how to do it. You know, and I think there's something internal, and I don't know this scientifically, but there's something that was that's keeping us, trying to keep us safe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even though the pandemic is kind of, you know, on its way out, we are still recovering from the trauma of that and, well, and from the isolation of it all. Yeah, well, I, I one thing I, I personally recognised at the time when it all sort of, it all happened. I mean, I think it actually at the time of recording today, apparently, because I heard on the radio, it was uh, two years ago today that, uh, that lockdown was announced um uh, so yeah crikey two years of, of of being delivered negative stuff and fear-based stuff and right at the very beginning I, I i said to my office manager i said you know what the biggest impact this is going to have is on mental health rather than actual the deaths from the pandemic from the, the the covid19 itself and and that's and it is so true and you, like you've just said you know it's it it's impacted because you've had all of this sort of fear going through i mean I went I'm, I live sort of in Nottingham and I'm, luckily and I'm, I'm sort of on the cusp of the countryside so I'm very very fortunate and um, I was visiting a friend in London and we went to the O2 but we stopped off at the Stratford um, shopping centre holy moly it was wall-to-wall people well I've never experienced that in my life before but it was like oh I mean I, I you know, not a fa- big face mask wearing glasses. You steam up, and but it was just you, you. Like you were saying, you're kind of conscious, and you're kind of like. I mean, I don't, I don't buy into fear, but I, I was kind of very sort of aware of feeling. There's an awful lot of people here. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I um. Prior to the pandemic, I've never been one to worry about germs. I've never been worried mm. about people in lots of people in big spaces. I go to Notting Hill Carnival every year. Like mm. I'm not afraid of much. But yet during the pandemic, I had this fear that I couldn't understand. And I'd go to the supermarket and I'd literally start shake. My body would physically shake, and I'd go, "What am I? Do- Why is my body shaking?" And you know, I, there was a lot of um, haves and have nots during the pandemic mm-hmm. right so the, the haves were fine they they could um you know they could bulk buy everything and they could stay in the houses their big gardens and then there were lots of people in apartment blocks like where i live mm-hmm. that you know had a very small amount of space couldn't get online shopping couldn't access you know so many things we couldn't access 
And there was a lot of kind of shaming of people. So I remember this photograph of the Olympic Park, which is close to where I live, and it was really busy. So it looked like there were hundreds of thousands of people in the Olympic Park, but it was because of the camera angle. Yes. And it got me really angry because that is the only open space in mm. Stratford. And so I, I was like, well, where do you want people to take their daily walk? Yeah, you know, and so exactly. I, I, there was a lot of kind of stuff and we still see it at the moment you know social media is a really difficult place to 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 navigate and as business owners do we have an option not to be on social media so it's like finding a balance between you know not relying on social media completely but also not allowing it to burn you out or to impact your your mental health no i agree with you and i I have to say personally i've taken a big sort of step back because i felt I was getting caught up into this sort of crazy, crazy social media world. And I suddenly, there were a couple of things that happened that I've suddenly realised that actually I don't need to do that. And I'm just going to do what I'm doing and everything's evolving. It's like this podcast. It's just really evolved without me having to do anything. And I think if you're passionate about something, it, it will evolve. I mean, and you're passionate about so many different things and your backstory is so fascinating. I really do, you know, how you grew up and what your challenges are and what you've done and what you've achieved. And like you said, you've always done so many things. So you've got that sort of resilience within you and that sort of drive, haven't you? That's kind of come about, I guess, from survival from an early age of being one of six children for a mum who was under 30. Good Lord. <laughs> Your mother was a brave woman. (laughs) And I think this is what drives me. You know, my mum had six kids. Her mum had eight kids. And her (gasps) mum had 18. Oh, my life. So proper East End. My great-grandma had 18 children living in the East End of London. Um, You know, and so there is this narrative of really strong women, right? Mm -hmm. Really strong women. But that can be romanticised. A little yeah. bit. And so, you know, the reality is all of those women, apart from my mum, she's still alive, died in poverty or in relative poverty, having worked extraordinarily hard and not got much back for the effort that they put in. And so, you know, when I had my daughter, um, who's now nine, I just had this moment of like, what am I passing down to her? What's the good that I can pass down and what's the not so good? You know, mm-hmm. do I want her to believe that her worth is is related to her productivity or, or to how many kids she has or, you know, all yeah. of those things? Yeah. And, and so that is in some ways what drives me. And what was interesting when you asked me to be on this podcast and I knew it was about happiness, I was having a bit of a bad week. <laughs> and, you know, I am not by default a happy person. I'm motivated, I can be inspiring, I can have uh, moments of joy, people describe me as funny, I use a lot of humour, but actually I grew up in a very negative environment, you know, my granddad was always doom and gloom and my nan was a little bit and, um, you know, there was just this kind of attitude of like, don't ask for too much, don't express your emotions, you know, get what you're given, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember saying to my mum that I wanted to go to uni and she was like, who, who the hell is going to pay for that? You know, so there was ne- it wasn't an environment of inspiration and you can reach your dreams. It was the opposite. And so my default, because of my programming, is to mm-hmm. always see the negative. And so I have to work really hard every single day to find the positives because so how do you do that then because I I think this is one of the things that we discussed at the time as I say I approached you would you come on the podcast because you said well I'm not this naturally happy person I said but 
what you do and what you it's going to resonate with people and the tools and techniques that you are using and you're implementing could really help people because you know it it is a mindset it is part of you know I, I feel very fortunate I do see everything predominantly from the positive but you know there is an element of that has taken time to put a lot of that into place to believe that everything's working out wonderfully to let things go not to get caught up in stuff because actually if when you do that's when you're just giving all your energy to something that's not working anyway I think some of it is about environment right mm -hmm. and so I still live you know, five miles away from where I've always lived, right? And, <laughs> I can and... beat you, I can top trump you on that. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about half a mile from my mum and dad's house where I was born. <laughs> you know, and, but the interesting thing is, you know, Stratford as an area has been completely redeveloped, right? Mm. I worked for eight years on the Olympic Games, right? Yes. So I saw the transformation of that. And I love where I live to some extent. However, it masked a lot of major social problems. And so mm. I now live in an area of the haves and the have-nots, right? And so I can get up and take my daughter to school and have to step across homeless people or people that are off their head on drugs or, you know, and then I can also see a Rolls-Royce drive around the corner, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe in, like, what I describe as toxic positivity, like, yeah. you know, basically put your, put your rose-tinted glasses on and believe that just by the power of positive thinking, everything can change. Because we know that that isn't the case. There's so much hard stuff going on in the world that isn't going to be solved with pos positivity. And when you're confronted with that on a daily basis, it's hard. It's hard to keep showing up and keep mm -hmm. doing the work. But I also know when I get myself into a negative mindset, if I stay there for too long... I sabotage and all of the good stuff yeah. that I've done gets unraveled. But I do think it's healthy from time to time to go into your cave and to allow yourself to feel all the feelings, to feel sad, to feel yeah. frustrated, to feel angry, mm -hmm. because a lot of good change comes from that behavior. And I think as humans, we're driven by two things. We're, we're either driven away from stuff or towards stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So it's either away from pain or towards pleasure. And I think most humans are more one thing than the other and I would say that I'm predominantly an away from person right and mm -hmm. what that means is growing up I didn't really know what I wanted but what I knew was what I didn't want I didn't want poverty I didn't want drama I didn't want you know all of the negative things yes, that I experienced yeah. growing up but when you ask me what do you want I find it much harder to describe it right mm -hmm. to, to be able to picture it because sometimes it's hard to picture what you haven't had Right. Yes. Whereas other yes. people are driven by, oh, I want this lifestyle and I want this car and I want this. Th and that's what drives them towards that. You know, so Do I don't you think, think that's materialism, though, Julie, because I, I, I hear what you're saying on that front. You know, uh, I mean, my parents were, were certainly not wealthy. I mean, I'm not saying that I lived or grew up in poverty because I, I didn't. Um, but, you know, there were people around me that were having holidays in this. that. We, we were always in North Wales. That was it. Abbasock and that was the beach. But I'm not a materialistic person. I don't have this sort of big, big, oh, I want to have this and I'll be successful. When, I'm, when I've got this, I'll be happy. It, happiness, I believe, comes from within and it's in it's appreciating and having gratitude for what you actually have got. And it's because there are a lot of people that have, haven't got a lot, but they're happy because the, it's it, it comes from within. I think it's what, you, what your drivers are and what you value. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not a materialistic person. I'm not into designer goods. I'm, but I love abundance in terms of, like, you know, I grew my business significantly from a financial perspective during mm -hmm. the pandemic and made more money than I could know what to do wow. with. Wow. Which is great, 
and I'll tell you why it was great. Really normal things, like when my um, washing machine broke, I didn't have to worry about replacing it. I could just yes. replace it. When I went into Tesco's and there were only the posh tomatoes, I could buy the posh tomatoes without <laughs> thinking, oh my God, get two pounds for, for tomatoes. You know, and so, you know, and being able to pay for holidays and experiences mm -hmm. and being able to, for a little while, I was giving my mum some money every month. And there was just certain things I've been able to do that have improved my quality of life yes. that are not about material Things. it's not about um profile or being seen to be wealthy you know um, yes and yeah. me and my sister i've got so i've got six i've got the six of us but my closest sister we have this joke and we've had it since childhood she's really into designer stuff right yeah but she's got no bloody money right? <laughs> i've got money and i'm not and she calls me she calls me a wealthy tramp and i call her a a, a, a posh something around you know and it's just this funny it's like what drives us it doesn't make her a bad person it's just what she enjoys yes, she enjoys yes. designer goods even though she can't afford them like you know and it's just like we've got to allow ourselves to want what we want you know there's no shame if you are driven by posh cars and nice shoes and all of that crack on you know yeah yeah if yeah, you're yeah. Not, then you're not and I think sometimes it's when you work towards a goal that isn't your goal when you're told oh I should want to be a six-figure yeah. business owner or I should want to invest mm -hmm. in property or I should want no you want what you want and that's what we should strive towards and so for me what money signifies is choice choice mm -hmm. and freedom and security and those were all of the things that I didn't have as a child I had a brilliant childhood it was creative it was full of fun and laughter but we had nothing you know I can remember we moved into this big house and this is where my mum and dad were together we moved from this really small house where we were really happy and very quite normal and then my mum had cancer um and she had three children in about 18 months, which is <laughs> not clever. Um, and so we went from being a family of three to being a family of six wow. very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to this big five bedroom house, which I don't think my mum and dad could afford. And we had nothing like there was mm -hmm. no, we had this massive through lounge with no furniture. Oh you know, gosh. like no furniture. There was no furniture in the house. And it took us about two years to kind of all have beds and all have this and all have that. But my memory of that time was we, we invented games and we did jigsaw puzzles and we had Lego all in the in, in the back room because there was enough space for it. You know, so, <laughs> so poverty comes with useful tools. You know, mm -hmm. I'm probably one of the most creative people ever because I can take nothing can make something of it. And as, as that's what entrepreneurship is about. It's about concepts and ideas and, yes. and all of those things, you know, but I also know that there are certain things that happened as a result of my mum and dad not having any money that have had an, a negative effect on me. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to secondary school in secondhand uniform. And what yeah. that did is it made me feel less than my, my peers, you know, and that comes with you. And there's a lot of undoing of, of the conditioning from our youth, you know, of yeah. what we think we're worthy of, you know. It's doing the work, though, isn't it? Like you said, it's, it's it's doing the inner work. It's it's processing it all and understanding it. And, you know, your parents do the best that they can do based on the knowledge and the upbringing that they've had. And you kind of got to forgive them for how they've been because they didn't know any better. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, nobody gives you a manual, do they? <laughs> it's just like... My daughter in 10 years' time will be undoing all the stuff that I... <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. But I think that, that you asked me the question, like, what do you do to make yourself happy? And, and it is about that. I have to create certain structures in my life to improve my happiness. You know, things like journaling, things mm. like 
um, audio books, things like meditation. Um, you know, there's just certain things that I just recognize if I don't have them in my life, I, I don't feel happy. Yeah, and it yeah. is. It's, and it's acknowledging those and knowing, understanding. I mean, I've, I've had to, I've had a few ailments, but I just love getting out and crave to get out running through the fields. You know, it's just lovely. It fills you with so much good stuff. And the other morning, it was about six o'clock in the morning, and I turned around to my partner Gareth and I said, oh, "We need to start to go to bed earlier so we can get up and we can be and embrace the day at six in the morning." Obviously, we're recording this in March and you know, it is springtime and it is glorious. You know, had we been talking <laughs> two months before now, it would be, no, it's I too dark. It <laughs> I'm, I'm marathon training at the moment. Oh, are you? Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm um, a big project for me this year is I'm running um, the Sierra Leone Marathon in June. Oh my gosh! Wow. In West Africa, yeah. And I'm, I'm raising money for a charity called Street Child that help children mm -hmm. in kind of war-torn areas to get access to education. Mm -hmm. And a big part of this was during lockdown, I couldn't get out and run because I had no childcare. You know, oh my and, and I, so the thing that is great for my mental health that creates happiness that gives yes. me a social life all of those things were stripped away from me mm -hmm. um and so it also happened to a lot of my audience a lot of my running community stopped yes. running and so the impact the negative impact on covid for women and their mental and physical health was completely disproportionate to the effect on men most men in the running community and i'm generalizing a little bit loved the lockdown because they could run more than ever Yes, but most yes. women were looking after the kids and, and managing the household and all of those kind of things. And so I knew I wanted to do something to help my audience get back out there. And so I'm taking a group of seven women from my community out to Sierra Leone. Oh, my gosh. And wow. we're also about to launch um, a kind of choose your own adventure virtual reality, uh, virtual version of it. So. Hopefully around 100 women from my community will run a half marathon in September and also yeah. help us raise money. So the target is to raise £100,000 by the end of this year. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. Because, I mean, you've done so much with, with, with the running community, haven't you? And as you say, the plus size running community and, and just championing and cheering people along. I mean, coming back to them, I mean, I just love the part run, which I, I couldn't I couldn't run this Saturday because I'd had another a recurring sort of illness. Anyway, not, nothing, I'm fine. But, you know, I, I walked it. But I was just like... I, I walked it, but I got to the last bit. And I thought, sod this. So I sprinted it with my underwire bra on and my jeans. <laughs> I couldn't help I myself. But, but, you know, this is the reason that, you know, I set up my blog uh, 11 years ago, right? Wow. And I'd been running for about five years prior to that, but I never yeah. saw myself as a runner because mm. you couldn't see people like me in any of the mainstream uh, marketing, not in the magazines, not on TV, you know, it, any marketing that was about fitness always showed an already slim person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I never felt like I was welcome in that world. And what I realized through my blogging that there are millions of women who don't look like runners who are running. But yeah. for every plus size woman that is running, there are five or six other plus size women that would like to run, but don't think they can because mm -hmm. of the narrative that's out there. And we know that running, or walking or being out in nature exercising is great for your mental health it's great for happiness and so the knock-on effect of the fear of judgment and that's what it basically boils yes, down to yeah, yeah. is that women's health both physical and mental is being impacted on because we're afraid of what people think of us and and that is just 
ridiculous it is i mean i'm i'm very much a champion for you know embrace who you are embrace and believe in yourself be your authentic true self or you know whatever it is that floats your boat or whatever you are as long as nothing impacts or hurts anybody else and you're you're hurting people deliberately you know you've got to look after yourself you've got to be you you've got to do what you know what anybody thinks you know if you want to wear if you want to go out running during the day with you know tights a tutu and a, a, a tea towel on your head wear it do it do who says that's what you should and shouldn't wear that, that but do you know pro- i really the problem is the problem yep. is and this very much happened to me in the early days mm. is that you'd go out and because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you don't see a lot of plus size women running when you do it becomes like a spectacle and so what that means is kids laugh at you stupid idiot teenagers throw things out of cars men in vans say inappropriate things and then what that does and I remember after having my daughter I'd already run a marathon I'd already been writing the blog and then I had my daughter had a bit of a break and the very first time that I went out for a run I went early in the morning to avoid lots Mm -hmm. of people seeing me and there was a group of lads who had come out of a nightclub and on their way home and as I knew something would happen and I had my headphones in and as I run past them I could hear them all laughing and jeering and whatever and I thought whatever and as I run past one of them slapped me on my bum (gasps) no and I tell you I mean at the time I, I think I made a bit of a joke about it but I was like it's not actually funny um, and I phoned the police because I was so angry with this bloke, you know, and, and I phoned the police and the police were very good. I thought that they would laugh at me and they didn't. They, they, mm. were, they were like, no, that's sexual assault. We're going to take this seriously and, and all of those kind of things. But what that did was it meant that I didn't want to go back out again. Yeah. You know? And so, so many women are afraid, not just of physical attack, which we also know happens to female mm-hmm. runners, but the emotional attack, which sometimes feels harder to, to deal with. I hear what you're saying. I mean, sometimes, you know, I mean, I live in a sort of a, sort of a suburb, but when I go out, there's, there are often groups of lads sort of going up to school or back and you just think, oh, here we go. I mean, thankfully, I, I just, I, I zone out, actually. I, I learned a long time ago just to... Um, act as if I'm invisible. Um, so if I'm not giving them any sort of energy from a mental perspective, I don't attract anything back. So invariably, I sort of kind of go, I can go past people without them seeing me. So I'm not ra- I'm not giving off any vibes because I've I've tuned them out so that they don't pick up on them. So that they, they don't actually notice me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know that's a, a really useful tool when you have the capacity to do that. And yeah. I know that sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. You know. Yeah, but you know I I'll. I'll go back really to a childhood instinct. It's really interesting that you bring this up. That I was going off. It, I mean, I was I was at school, I think, at the time, and there were these young kids, and they they verbally said, I can't remember what they they gave me some of the verbals, but it felt me. I felt very very vulnerable, and it's interesting because it's still anchored. I still remember it, and I've had to work hard to overcome that. And it's it's just kids. It's just groups of kids being groups of kids, you know what I mean? Because they don't understand any better. Yeah, and, you know, we all have those memories. And sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's blokes, sometimes it's other girls, you know. Um, And it's hard to shake them off. I remember once um, I was on a date with a guy that I'd been seeing and I was in a really happy mood. It was a sunny day. was at a picnic outside this pub. And I went into the pub to get a couple more drinks. And there was this group of lads, like real kind of Essex boys, you know, all handsome, you know, and I avoided... (laughs) eye contact because I just knew like just and I just went into the pub and one of them shouted here Dave is one for you or something like that and they all laughed 
And I can remember coming back out and crying. And, oh, no. And, and my boyfriend going, what's the matter? What's happened? And I told him, and he was like, oh, I'll just leave it. Like, just they're idiots. But, uh, you know, still 20-odd years on, I still remember how that made me feel. I know. I don't think people understand, and I think it's it's a lack of understanding, a lack of emotional intelligence, and sort of a, a part bravado, you know, on behalf of men and women, you know, it's 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 a level of awareness and a maturity and wisdom. Because, you know, you or I wouldn't do that to anybody else, yeah. you know? It's and, not... And so- some people, you know, like, I think even online, I see certain people that... You know, they post funny, what they consider funny memes or funny mm-hmm. things online where they're taking the mickey out of people, you know. Yeah. And so particularly after Christmas, I see this a lot. So after Christmas it, and actually after lockdown as well, there was a lot of so-called jokes about putting on weight. And mm-hmm. so you'd, you'd have somebody who I know is a really good, decent person and they'd put a post about, you know, me before lockdown and me afterwards and the yeah. after would be fat. And I'd, I'd, I'd message them privately and I'd say, for some people, your after is how they already are. And so what does that make them feel, you know? Yeah. And sometimes people just don't think. They, you know, they share things and they don't realise that they're really hurting other people's feelings. Yeah, I think there's just this sort of, as I said, you know, you, people get into this sort of pattern of behaviour and we aren't our behaviour. We can all change our behaviour, but it's taking that time back to take a step back and go, oh, actually, maybe. You know, and I'm always really personally mindful. I, I, tend, I like to think about what I'm doing and is it going to impact anybody you know I work in recruitment I mean sometimes some of the stuff that people put on CVs it makes you howl I mean it's just it's just humorous you know (laughs) you know because there's a lot of lacking of attention to detail in terms of translation and one thing other things make you laugh but you know it's I don't ever want to pick on anybody for anything particular but we have to have humor we have to you know have laughter when you think about the media and the TV programmes and things like that of the 70s that was deemed okay, but actually we've moved away from that and actually we now know that things that were discussed and talked about weren't okay, but nobody actually understood that why they were wrong at the time because it was normalised and stuff becomes normal and so it becomes second nature, so you behave that and then, you, and then people go, oh, well, hang on a minute, aren't we getting all a bit PC? But it's, it yes... It is, but at the same time, there's an importance to it because you are talking about people's emotions. We are talking about people's feelings. And as a, as a human race, I believe we're spirit having a human experience. And I believe that, you know, it's that level of awareness, that understanding, that emotional intelligence that we evolve, that we can, you know, navigate. And that's that, and that is the purpose. You know, that is what we are supposed to do. It's, it's that learning. It's that journey that we're on, you know, and all the things that we, you know, like, you know, you've learned and how you've adapted and what you're doing to bring about happiness in your life you know there's a lot of things and lots of tools and techniques that I've brought about I mean I spent 20 years with an ex-husband that didn't have a nice word to say to me you know and I used all my strengths to get to starting point I had to learn to accept a compliment um 17 years ago I, I didn't know I had to deflect it because I was so unused to what it what it was just like I didn't know what to do with it you know and you see that is the power of storytelling right so that's how we build connection it's why mm-hmm. people love podcasts so much because we get into these conversations and they go off into different tangents and directions <laughs> yes. and, and we find out stuff and we go ah oh. you know and, and before the whole me too movement I used to use that phrase with my clients and say you want to create me too moments where you go oh I feel like that too or that experience ha- or something similar happened yes. to me yeah and what that does is it creates connection and it also eliminates a lot of the shame you know it lots a lot uh, eliminates a lot of shame or embarrassment or feelings of being weird or or you know different 
Yes. And, you know, so many people go through life thinking that they're a weirdo, right? Because they mm. feel a certain way or they've had certain experiences. And when you have the courage to share your story, what you're doing actually is bringing other people together in a sense of togetherness and connection and all of those kind of things. And so, you know, people often come to me, clients come to me because they want to grow their tribe they want to grow yeah. their their business audience and they think that it's to do with tactics or strategies or it's facebook ads or it's you know it, it's stuff that's outside of them when actually it's about going inwards it's about saying right who am i what do i have to bring to the world and some people are um i i have a a quiz that helps you to kind of understand a little bit more about how you naturally bring people towards you. And I'm, I'm a bit of a crusader, right? I crusade for change and it's how I've worked in every kind of industry, sector, business. It's always been about what's the problem and how can I help solve it? And often it's about crusading and being the person that speaks up for change. Yes, yeah, yeah. But because of the pandemic, my ability to do that has been minimized. I don't have the energy to crusade anymore. Mm -hmm. But what I do have the energy to do is to tell stories, right? Yeah. And so this is where like my archetype system means, you know, on some days you can be the healer and you can hold space for people and you can be really gentle and kind when people. And other times you're like, no, I need to be the teacher and I need to do this and I need to do that. You know, and so it's understanding your own makeup and not expecting other people to be the same. Oh, oh, I wish you'd have been there to tell my ex-husband that. <laughs> I think he expected everybody to be like him. And I used to argue with him. I say, look, no, the world would be awful if we had everybody the same as you. We've, you know, it's embracing people's uniqueness and their differentness. And it's how we all come together and how we connect with each other. And as you say, there's, there's stories that can resonate and people can have our moments and go, oh, I'm not alone. But we are, we've got different internal drives, got different things that make us up, different things that we're passionate about. And it's holding true to yourself and being true to yourself and going with what... It, it, it feels right instinctively, you know? I mean, I was always guided away from doing podcasts and I was like, no, it feels absolutely right. And I you know, I just love it. It's just the perfect platform for me because I love talking to people and I love exploring people's stories and having conversations with yourself and, you know, other guests and bringing all this richness, this texture, this interest to the world because, you know, it's downloaded globally, which is just absolutely awesome. And I'm going on a real journey with it myself. And it's just, it's, but it's going from the heart. You know, I just want to share, like you were saying, people's stories because you're not alone. We're not alone. I mean, I, I came out of my relationship and as I started on my personal development story, my, my personal development journey myself, you know, I'd, I'd always felt a certain way. And I suddenly started to read these books and went, oh, Oh, that's interesting because that's how I feel has got a name, you know, and I've sort of embraced sort of all my sort of warts and kinks and forms and I'm still, you know, discovering more about myself now because we've, we've got so many layers to ourselves. But, you know, it's just, people are fascinating, Julie, aren't they? They really are. And I think, you know, what you're doing is amazing. You know, you're leading these people, you're doing charity work and you're a real champion for sort of people that have not got aren't you because of where where you've been in the past but then you also work with leaders as you say with within organizations that would, are turning over millions so you kind of you're working across the spectrum really 
But I always see myself as a bit of a bridge, you know. So when I worked on the Olympics, if you think about it, there was big government agencies and big kind of architecture firms and all the people with money coming into an area where people had no money, right? And so quite often I would be the bridge between the haves and the have-nots because I could speak both of the languages and find common ground. And that's what we need to do when we have difference is not focus on the difference so much, but find the common ground. And, you know, it's why I'm a massive fan of the Olympics. The Olympics changed East London, not just in its physical sense, but in our experience of ourselves. It was the best the summer of 2012 was the best place. London was incredible in terms of, you know, people being more accepting of each other. And, you know, we were spotlighted, you know, and, and mm-hmm. broadcast to the rest of the world. And, you know, I think London 2012, I think it's the 10 year anniversary this year. You know, so it's, it's really coming back to me just what a bloody brilliant job we did, you know. And the great thing about the Olympics is it's a non-negotiable you know, it has to happen. And so what that means is from a stakeholder perspective, compromise has to happen because you can't just decide, well, we're standing our ground because, you know, the time ticks down and, and the door open on the day <laughs> you and you're either ready or you're not, you know. <laughs> oh, my friend was um, who I went to visit, who I've already mentioned. Um, she's a massive Olympic fan yeah. and she she volunteered and she was part of the Paralympic opening ceremony and she, yeah. was, she was part of the eye and she was telling me how many hundreds of people were recruited just to do yeah. it just sounded that's, like that's a big part of what I did so I was um I worked with a lot of politicians and a lot of different agencies around how we uh how we recruited those 70,000 volunteers because you know the they had probably I don't know half a million um applications wow and what would have happened without some of the work that I did is we would have had a very middle to upper class workforce of sports enthusiastics, all white, all wealthy. Um, yeah. And actually the areas that the games took part in were very multicultural and were, you know, diverse in all senses. And what my vision was for that Games Maker programme was for a completely diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's still and so it should be. Yeah, so it, it should be goosebumps knowing that that's what happened. It was a truly representative workforce, and you know the 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 I did a lot of work with young people around that time who became games makers, and that experience was a pivotal point in their lives. They went on to get really good jobs as a result of the skills that they learned oh, while being games wow. makers. I mean, as I say, you've got so many stories, so much stuff that I'd just be wonderful to share. But oh, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for for coming on. So how, how do people get hold of you? I mean, you, 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 there's so many areas. What can people get hold of you about and for and where? Yeah. Please do share. So with obviously, my, my name, Julie Crefield, is very Googleable because there are not mm. many Julie Crefields in the world. So if you Google Julie Crefield, all of my stuff comes up. And with the running stuff, literally Google anything to do with being a fat runner and my website <laughs> comes up because it's been there for such a long time. It's like 11 years. The SEO wow. is brilliant for that brand. So, um, mm. but yeah, come and find me on Instagram. I'm having a lot of fun on Instagram at the moment with Instagram Reels. It feels oh, like I've come yes. full circle because I started my career doing stuff in drama and filmmaking. And so I'm back creating content and, oh. you know, being my kind of jazz hands type of person. Brilliant. So. I should have hooked on to that. I mean, I was I'm not feeling very well. So, I, it, yeah, and being busy with other things. But yeah. I need to learn more about Reels. So, so yes, they can find you everywhere then. Julie yeah. Crefield and... <laughs> 
running and yeah on instagram <laughs> and wherever oh julie thank you so so much and thank you all for listening um obviously this has been sarah j naylor um with my harnessing happiness podcast thank you very much of the delightful julie creffield who uh as you said she, you can find her on instagram or just by googling her name and it's julie creffield and that's two f's for freddie so in the middle in there rather than any s's uh yeah so thank you very much and until next time please do uh, rate review follow whatever you do on your normal platform and we can spread all this positivity and upbeat and ideas and thoughts etc across the globe as we're already doing but we can spread it further so thank you very much and until next time goodbye thanks for listening to the harnessing happiness podcast with sarah j naylor if you took value from the content please follow the show on your podcast app and to find out more about sarah's ape mindset visit sarahjnaylor.com that's sarahjnaylor.com